Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. Hey, everybody. What's up? Hello. And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. And in honor of the start of the summer season, we've decided to take it to camp this week. A really, really terrible camp. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Arguably one of the worst camps we've ever visited here on the show. Yeah, it's it's bad. They really need to uh, pay more attention to their hiring. There's some, there's some bad people working at that camp. <laughs> There really are. This is exactly why they screen so thoroughly for camps these days. But we are talking about Sleepaway Camp. 1983 cult classic? Question mark? Is this a cult classic? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's jump right into it. So there is a boating accident and Angela is sent to live with Ricky and Aunt Martha. They grow up and then one fateful summer... Ricky and Angela are sent off to Camp Arawak, I think. Whatever they're going, they're going to camp for for a couple weeks oh, in the summer. Oh, they put the they put the whack in Arawak. <laughs> all right. Oh boy. So once they get there, Angela's Angela's quiet, and Angela not really making friends, and Angela's pretty much making enemies uh, because of her very quiet, reserved nature. And Ricky is there to protect her, but it seems like everyone that is picking on Angela starts to die. One by one, and hilarity ensues. And that's Sleepaway Camp. Hilarity is an interesting <laughs> choice of words. <laughs> hilarity always ensues in these movies. It's true. So I want to start out with the very beginning scene, the boating accident scene, where lives mm-hmm. are lost. And I think this might mark... The most ultimate case of whoa behind the wheel because the people driving the boat had about an hour to get out of the way and not hit the family. (laughs) (laughs) So there's my first question with this movie. (laughs) Since since I've seen this before, I was taking notes um, to try and see like how well they telegraph the ending. And actually, if you know the ending. You can you can totally like understand everything that happens in the movie at the beginning. Yeah, it's um, true. You just need to pay a little attention. So Yeah, I went back and did the same thing. I like rewatched the entire beginning to piece it all together and you're right. Um no, yeah, this is the worst accident ever. And I'm more curious to unpack the relationship the dad has with another dad with another guy. Another dad. But I mean, two dads. Presumably, he's another dad. I don't know why I made that assumption. Um, I think I think what's going on is he's having an affair, and he's trying to hide it from his sister-in-law. I guess I'm not sure what everyone's relationship is. I know that's that my next there's, question. There's yeah, some cousins involved, and it's not really exactly clear. 
but yeah. So Aunt, what's her name? Martha? I think it's Aunt Martha. Aunt Martha is such a treasure too. Like I've decided that from now on when I talk to my kids, I'm going to stop and be like, no, that wouldn't do, would it? Every time. I, like I want to have my internal monologue externally like she does. And also she she's obviously batshit crazy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Start tying strings around your finger. Now I remember. <laughs> Um, she's no, she's winning at the cray cray game, and I find her fascinating, obviously, because she is the presumably the person who forces uh, this Angela to be Angela, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So, spoiler alert: Angela turns out to be a male who was the 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 survivor wasn't Angela, the survivor was the brother, and the crazy aunt made was Peter. Right, right, Peter. You can actually see that it's the little boy with the short hair at the beginning who survived, and mm-hmm. the other ones disappeared. So, like, it should be absolutely obvious what happened, but this movie's crazy, and, yeah, it doesn't make sense, because you don't know anyone's relationships or who's supposed to be who, so it's very confusing. Is Ricky aware of what happened? Like, does he know she's a penis? I don't think so. How does maybe, he not know? Maybe. I, Maybe. That's, that's where I I said that he does know because he is so protective of her, like like overly protective of her. And I always took it as he is that protective because not only does he care for his cousin, but he's guarding that secret. Like that's how I took it because like I, you know, growing up very close with my cousins and honestly, if anybody was picking on me, I'm pretty sure my cousins would have like laughed and helped out. Like, I mean, we all love each other, but I don't know. Like there is just an element of protection that makes me believe that, that Ricky knows Ricky absolutely knows that this is Peter and Angela was the one that died. Yeah, no, I I mean, I don't think it's that ambiguous. Like I I feel like they do a good job of kind of tying it all together, but I have to say the first thing I want to kind of unpack here is, and this is tough for us to do because we are literally three straight cisgendered people, but there's a lot out there that kind of places this film as problematic and transphobic and homophobic. And then there's a lot that says, no, this is actually very empowering to transgendered homosexuals and other types of people. And I think it's kind of one of those things where I feel like the best way for me to play it is you get out of it what you want, because as a straight female, I have no right to decide whether or not this film is right or wrong. I read this beautiful article about a uh, transgender person who felt very empowered by Felissa Rose's performance and the idea of the reveal. Um, So, I mean, who's to say, right? Well, I had read a theory that Aunt Martha is crazy and she talks about how her husband left her. So the theory is Aunt Martha went crazy because the husband that left her is the partner of Peter and Mm. Angela's father. Mm. Ah. that's why she went cuckoo bananas because her husband left her for peter and angela's father and that's the two men in the beginning i mean that sounds very plausible but once again they they do a really bad job of looking you know who's who and who's related to who so it's really hard to nail it down and also about the whole transgender thing like i don't even i don't know i mean i'm not transgender so what do i know but like being forced 
to be the opposite sex. I don't think that's quite the same thing, is it? No, I, I, I agree, and I think that's part of what makes it problematic, um, at least. And again, I admittedly haven't seen the second one. I've only seen the first and the third. Thank you, Jackie. Uh, <laughs> and I, I agree with you. I think my instinct is that it's problematic, but again, like, I kind of agree with you. What do I know? You know what I mean? Like, if people have found this empowering, then all of our power to them. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do think there's there's a clear homophobia at the beginning, and Aunt Martha's you know, if, if, and Jackie, I love your, that theory that you read, if that's true, it stands to even more homophobia in the film, but, and then also the very problematic, albeit very typical use of like, you know, the, the word queer and all the other inappropriate, um, words for homosexuality throughout the film. But one thing that I will say, I think is done well. And again, I got to attribute this to the acting is that there is such an emotional depth given to Angela by, facial expressions like there's such a such a vulnerability such a sweetness like I am always amazed at how much I fall in love with this character and how much I also feel protective and want to defend her and I think that that's maybe part of what we can argue is decent about that like in the in the journey of what I would imagine to be a very difficult process of coming out or kind of understanding one's own gender like she she's never like for a crazy killer, she's so empathetic to me. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if I didn't know the ending, I would be more empathetic. But since I do, every time like the camera like focuses in on her face and she's like moon eyed and crazy looking, like I'm just weirded out by her. Yeah, I I'm kind of in that boat as well. Of like one of my notes is that yeah, they unfairly tease Angela. She's different. They tease her because she's different. She doesn't talk. She just kind of stares. And it's not right for for them to do that. On the other hand, I mean, she's she's a class A creeper because she literally is sitting there. Judy is unpacking her bag. All this, you know, everybody's in the bunk talking and what have you. And Angela literally, it's not that she like glances over. She sits to face Judy and just stare at her. Doesn't say anything. Just stares at her. And Judy rightfully is like, what are you looking at? And Angela okay. doesn't respond and she continues to just stare at her. And again, I do understand that like Angela, her social norms have, you know, been the walls have been broken down and crashed. And I understand that Aunt Martha has severely damaged Angela, but you have to give a little bit of credit in Judy's corner for being like, what are you staring at? You are a creeper. Okay. Okay. So here's my argument. You're right. She definitely. <laughs> and for the record, I did know the ending this time. I had seen it once before, and I still felt this sympathy. And here's why. Yes, she stares at her. But I think if we're going to defend like cousins having each other's back, I think Judy's a big see you next Tuesday. But mm. at the end of the day, she is a see you next Tuesday. And until she kills, who's the boy who's like really sweet to her and she kind of has a relationship with? Paul. Until she kills Paul, I'm kind of on board with her moral compass and reasons for killing people. I, I know that sounds harsh, and just stick with me here. She kills a pedophile, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She kills a bunch of assholes who are mean and do terrible things to other people. <laughs> and she kills the owner of the camp, who is a scumbag. And he's also dating a teenager, too. So, well, he never gets to. He wants to. Oh, I think it's presumed that he, this isn't their first go-around yeah. with Meg. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to read into that. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. Like I feel like these characters are so morally corrupt that it almost suggests that she's kind of 
taking a moral stand. And then until the end, yeah, I liked Paul. And so when she had Paul's head in her lap, obviously I lost my ability to like empathize. But yeah, I don't know. I, I feel a certain sympathy for the character. And I think it's played, the acting is played really well. Can we discuss though, can we really dive into this camp? Because I have zero experiences in the 80s and 90s with camps. Please tell me this is not what camp was like. This is what camp was like. Just with less molestation. But yeah, just like little clicks and stuff. Like kids like just being assholes oh yeah that's why like i don't really get on board that much with your uh the way you look at it because some of them yes totally deserve to die the pedophiles and the and the weird adults who are like chasing kids down and beating them half to death but then like little kids like throwing water balloons and like being dickheads like that's like everyone in the movies like that like even the even peter or not peter even uh ricky at the beginning gets his friend Mozart to, you know, sit up right into his butt, butt crack or what whatnot. And, you know, and Mozart's chasing him around the room with a knife. Like, they're all kind of, like, weirdo, like, crazy people because they're all children in the 80s with, like, other children taking care of them. So I don't know. I don't know if I see it as, like, they're all assholes or, like, I don't know. I don't know how to, how to meter out justice. For like a camp full of assholes. If being mean and being an a-hole like is justification to get you killed, we both would have been off in college. So I don't mm-hmm. want to get behind that. <laughs> I don't want to get behind that theory because I like to live. Wow, I don't think we were that bad in college. My God, um, no, we were bad. We were scumbags. That's fair. Um, I <laughs> no, you're right, and and I think it's it's my lack of understanding of a certain cultural norm. Um, having grown up in a very non-campy urban environment, um, but I I don't know, you guys. Like maybe this is why it's good that we live in oversensitive times because Jesus, all these people are terrible. And you're right, Nate. It's hard to like calibrate my, my justice meter too, Mm -hmm. but I just feel like I'm thankful that my kids aren't raised in these times. Like I, I don't know that this was, this is a really, to me, a really good example of just how morally corrupt situations like this really were. And it ties back to me about the theme of like marginalized or LGBTQ populations where I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be someone who was either gay or transgendered in this environment. So I think in that way, this film does a good job of kind of highlighting the problematic treatment and behavior of anyone different in the 80s. And and that's why I think this film does matter to marginalized individuals, even if Angela, as a construct of transgenderness, is so problematic. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. No, I like that a lot. Um, also, if we could bring back tiny shorts and crop tops on dudes, <laughs> I think I'd be really happy about that. Amen, sister. <laughs> there's, there's mesh football shirts. Jackie, wait, can I just for a second love that this is what I love about our podcast? Because I will be sitting here talking about marginalized people represented in film, and you will quickly be like, and to piggyback off of that, <laughs> and talk about your penchant for seeing dude junk up close and personal nice and tight in their shorts. <laughs> maybe because that maybe that's my marginalized group, is the, the group that wants to see dudes in... Tiny shorts and crop tops. That's fair. I'm not with you. We're all about diversity in this, in this, but no. (laughs) But you know what? Especially when your dude is like, has such a hairy chest. It looks like he has a shirt underneath the crop top. 
Oh, man. Also, Where is this supposed to take place? This is in New Jersey. No. Is it? They have thick accents. Some of them have real thick accents. They do have like, bad New York accents. And it, doesn't, it doesn't help that the main character is named Angela, because it's always like, Angela! Angela! <laughs> Angela! Angela. Uh, <laughs> no, it's true. It has a certain Guido-esque vibe to it. That is very fair. Um, <laughs> if we're making a wish list of things we want to come back, can we make those little painter hats come back in vogue too that are like made out of paper that Ricky rocks? Yeah, you can do it. Just just go buy one. I, I'm gonna. Lead the trend. You know me, I'm a real trendsetter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's, I just want to unpack the deaths a little more because they're freaking hilarious. The the pedophile, which I mm. love in the very beginning when all the kids are coming in and he's talking about, you know, being, he's just being a pedophile. Oh, Jesus. Like, I, call him, I call him bodies or something. Like, ugh. The response from everyone else is like, oh, pedophile, you're the silliest. Like, <laughs> like, my is, what is this, a camp run by Nambla? Because everyone's <laughs> like, oh, there's, there's always, you always got to mix in a little pedophilia at summer camp. Like, no, they don't. What? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's his, the pedophile's death, I still, like, I have watched that scene. Die. I've watched that scene so many times and I don't understand how that was the outcome. I don't understand how he ended up with all the burns because in my head, when you're falling, you just, you don't grab onto the giant pot of boiling water. Yeah. True, true story. I, I think that he was, he was off balance that the store or the chair that he was on was already like wobbly and he's grabbing on the shelf behind the water. So I think he just accidentally pulled it over on top of him when he fell. I don't Wouldn't know. that really kill someone too? Like a, a pot of water? Him. It didn't kill him. Oh yeah, he was just like severely burned. That's great they that he gets. Away. That's great that he gets to live of all the fuckers in this film. I think and Jackie. Yeah, it's real up. <laughs> Jackie, getting back to your point, you're right. One of the things that truly horrifies me about this film, and I can't tell if it's horror intentionally done in the '80s to make us uncomfortable, or just looking at it with a modern lens. But how normatized underage like sexuality and all this stuff were like. It really bothered me when James Earl Jones's brother did not do anything about the pedophile. And like the suggestion that like Mel and all of these adults damn well knew this guy was a pedophile and they're like, ah, baldies, am I right? Like it is shocking to me. And I don't know if it was built in to, to be a social commentary or if that's just the norm of the 80s. But either way, man, am I glad I'm not living in that time. Yeah. I think they're all just a bunch of cronies. They were all just like, oh, we'll fall in line and get our paycheck. So he didn't want to like, I know, but know, that's that, waves or anything. I think as we've seen historically, that's such a problematic way of thinking. And oh, I, it's terrible. You know, like it's like the Penn State thing all over again. And to mm-hmm. me, it's like, I'm glad that I find it interesting, at least that a film in 1983 would be kind of playing around with that. The other issue I have with this film is how the fuck old are all these people and why are they all like sexually active at like 12? I don't know, but all I know is the 12 year olds can curse way better than the 16 year old. The 12 year olds are all the toughest kids in the entire fucking world. And the 16 year olds are a bunch of punks that hang out on the roof and throw water balloons at people. True story. I'd much rather hang out with the 12 year olds. The baseball scene was such a weird out of place, like moment of nostalgia. Like I felt like Mm. I was watching the Sandlot with lots of curse words. Cause I was like, why is this here? Are we supposed to be like, Oh, how cute and innocent they all are. Like meanwhile, they're telling each other fuck off and die. I do. Jackie, you're right. I do love fuck off and live or yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, he eat says, shit and live, Bill. Eat, eat shit and die, Ricky. And he goes, eat shit and live, Bill. 
Oh my god, what a what a fucking amazing. Seriously, comeback. that's up there with "Eat a bowl of fuck" from Night of the Demons for me. I love that line. Pretty good line. I think "Eat shit and live" might be the new sign off for Jersey Girls. I know it took, <laughs> it took three years to find it, but I think we got it, you guys. <laughs> can we can we roll back to we we're talking about the death scenes? Um, the blisters on the dude that that pulled the water on himself looked amazing. Like they're pulsating and everything. Uh, the makeup on quite a few of these kills are really good. One one of them, they got a kid to keep a, a friggin' snake in his mouth for the shot, and he didn't move at all. And the snake's crawling out of his mouth. So good. Wait, that was that was real. That wasn't a latex head. No, that was a person's face. I thought that was latex. Oh, okay. It looked real to me. I don't know. Like, the eyes were, like, just the right kind of glassy and everything. I don't know. Pretty sure that was a person. Okay. I would have to look that up now. Now you make me doubt it. <laughs> um, so the next se- the next death after that one is, well, it moves quickly then, I feel like, once, like, those initial. Like, so Meg is a total horrific human being. So she deserves everything she gets, in my opinion. Like, she was such a cunt because, like, her whole mission was just like, I don't like you. You need to be knocked down a peg. And that's all that she wanted to do. So her death to me was on par with like King Joffrey from Game of Thrones. So like when she finally got it, like there was an audible cheer because she was so terrible. Like she was just a bitch for the sake of being a bitch. Like she Mm -hmm. was the worst. And you know what? While we're talking about campers real quick, here's my question about Judy. How old is Judy supposed to be? Because Ricky and Judy standing next to each other look way more like mother and son than like teens at a at a at a date. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird, like trying to figure out the the ages of any of these kids because they all look so different. Yeah, it's but like you, for you. You've cast like <laughs> actual like 10, 11, 12 year olds and then you've got, you know, like that classic Hollywood trope of casting like 20, like you know, someone in their late 20s or 30s to play a teenager just because they're like short. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> <laughs> So getting back though, uh, Jackie, I think you hit on something really important because you're right. Meg seems obsessed with like enacting revenge on Angela because Angela gets certain privileges. And I find it a fascinating, again, and I'm not sure that in 1983, this was intentional, but like this almost like resentment people have had lately towards marginalized people getting certain treatment, whether you want to liken it to like, you know, affirmative action movements or like anything else. It's like, I feel like Meg equals white America getting pissed that minorities and LGBTQ people are getting certain privileges and certain rights, even if it's just equality they're seeking. So they go out and they go out of their way to fucking repress them again. It's like the way people are kicking back so strongly against the Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage and all that other stuff, because it's like, well, how dare you? We're going to show you who's boss. And Meg, to me, very much represents like, Trump's America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how people are, though. They see someone else getting something that they're not necessarily getting, and they feel like they're getting shafted instead of the other person being lifted up to their level. Right, and, like, all Angela wants is to be left the fuck alone. It's not like she's, like, getting some sort of special treatment or privileges. She just doesn't want to do their stupid shit with them. And it's like, I love that because you don't play by the majority rules, you become such a target. It's such an important theme 
for marginalized people. So this is like the second episode in a row where I feel like I've been very much on my uh, political high horse again. Sorry, y'all. Don't apologize for it. We keep watching movies that are like really like offensive and stuff that give you lots of things <laughs> to think about in this manner. So it's not really your fault. I know. And I think just like the, the current political climate has me so bugged out that it's like on my brain constantly, you know? Oh, no. Yeah, I, I try and tune out as much as possible because I know... I know who I am, and I know the people I interact with, and I don't need to see what the the rabble rousers have to say about anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. I think at this point in my life, all the rabble rousers are long gone, because I've been so vocal for so long. (laughs) So that's that's actually a good place to be. The, uh, The guy who died by bees. I have questions. I'm, yeah, I'm trying not to be nitpicky, but like, I would have jumped out the little screen window that was now opened. You know, like, I don't know, like I would have gotten down on my hands and knees if I pushed that door and found that the door wasn't open. I would have gotten down on my hands and knees and crawled out the little opening underneath the stall. Like I wouldn't have just stayed in the stall, standing up, trying to push the door open. No, true story. Again, I'm not 100% sure I'm sold that that would kill someone unless he had a a marked allergy to bee stings. I was going to say, they could could have added a line like, oh no, he was allergic to bees (laughs) or something like that, just to like really sell it, you know? The aftermath when you saw his body like very red and blistered, I think we're supposed to just assume that he was allergic to bees. Mm -hmm. I'm a film critic, not a doctor, goddamn. <laughs> true true and like and how does angela know that he's allergic to bees like yeah, yeah. I, one line would have smoothed that one out like a whole lot more for me but i just feel like like once again like this death was like i that's you know what that's what it is i feel like all of these deaths and all of these injuries were escapable and they just kind of threw that out the window like you could have gotten away from the bees you could have gone out the open screen window you could have crawled under the toilet stall judy's death you could have done something more than just put your hands straight up in the air you know and i I don't know i I, i'm trying not to nitpick the deaths but i do feel like they were avoided oh yeah they're really ridiculous i think that's totally fair jackie i think that's uh all part of the charm perhaps of like the the goofiness of this movie and i think that's maybe where i have a not like a problem with this movie but it's like There are these kind of like goofy deaths, but the movie doesn't come off to me as trying to portray goofy deaths. And here's where I'm going to say it. I still prefer the third one. I still prefer Sleepaway Camp 3 because that movie is ridiculous and it has goofy deaths. But I think that's the tone of the whole movie where it, it knows what it is. It's the third movie in what has become kind of a ridiculous slasher franchise where in this first one, I I mean, and maybe I'm talking out my ass, but I don't know that they were set out to make this kind of goofy, ridiculous over the top movie. Maybe they were, maybe the director went to camp and went, you know, it would be really out of control and funny if like a camp uh, or a camper was killing in these ridiculous fashions. I don't know. Like, I just feel like if we're going to go with these deaths and these injuries and accidents, we're kind of like goofy and over the top. It does not fit with the rest of the tone in the movie. And that's where I'm always going to favor the third one, because I feel like the third one knows what it is. I think that they just had a really bad script. I feel like if this script was tightened up more, because there's a lot of like color and like things put in the movie just to like give you like that camp feeling but they could have used that to, like, link to, like, the deaths and stuff. And 
they could have like fell off on the trope of hey it's you what are you doing here ah like every time someone dies like because it gets really like ridiculous by like the eighth time it happens you know it was you the whole time ah no like it's kind of ridiculous yeah i think you both have a really important point here the tone is really off and i can't tell if we are hard on that well first of all jackie i love you to death but the third one is ridiculous i mean you're right (laughs) it's super fun and it knows what it is so i think it does get points for that in my book but I don't know, like, the question that I'm going to throw out there is, are we so uncomfortable with this unevenness because of the very heavy thematic relevance of having one of your characters wind up being forced to be transgendered and all of the underlying homophobia and homosexual issues tied into this film? So it's like, you're right. I feel, and Nate, I think you're right too. I feel like as a script and as a film, this film doesn't know what it wants to be. And I don't think you can mix the two the way they did and make it work. I think that mm. in at this moment in history, you either have to go serious or absurd, but I don't know that getting, trying to tie it all together, it's like they did too much, they had too much like ambition and they just couldn't really execute it all. Um, and I agree with you. I think that's one of the problems that the film suffers from, but I can't help but wonder if it is because of the subject matter that we take that much of a serious lens to it because if this were just a slasher film about kids at camp killing each other i feel like i'd be like hee 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 but because there's so many uh, like thought-provoking underlying themes it makes me uncomfortable to like get silly and take on like a slasher perspective on this film i don't know what do you guys think i think that that was just like a trope at the time and i think that they were just trying to figure out like which tropes they were going to use and which they weren't i don't think that there was like now that that transgender people are are much more in the light and and you know we're talking about it it's different but back back in the like early 80s and stuff like our only point of reference was stuff like psycho and like movies and stuff like you know like it it was always kind of like like been like a goof oh look at those look at those boys that dress up as girls it's so goofy so like i don't know i think it was it was used as a gimmick more than anything yeah yeah i definitely agree with you i think it just it's too problematic now for you know like Mm. we know better like it's like watching um you know certain movies like to wong fu and all those where like we we realize or even mrs doubtfire is so cringy and inappropriate now you know what I mean? Like whether we want to admit it or not, I think these, you're right. These, these things that were just gags back then are so problematic now. Yeah, for sure. But they just didn't know any better. And like I said, this was even early in um, like the invention of the slasher movie. This is a pretty early entry. So like, I think they're just trying to figure things out and they're like, what tropes and what, like, what kind of what kind of things that have been done before can we glomp onto to make our thing more like other slasher movies? And I think that's they just pick the psycho angle or whatever angle you want to call it, you know? Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting too because I was doing some research on like what it was like to be transgendered in the eighties, because I, I kinda got that sense that like this was like in the eighties just a haha, isn't that a funny gag? And you're right, I think, like, you know, calling back to Psycho is an important thing there. Um, Although I think it's two very different kind of plays on transgenderedness, both unfair and problematic, I might add. But, um, Mm -hmm. man, did it suck to be gay, transgendered, whatever, in the 80s and early 90s. Like, this was such a fucking terrible time that it almost feels that much more 
problematic that they would do this because it was such a shitty time to be gay or transgendered in America. Well, you know about that confirmation bias stuff. So people didn't realize they were doing anything that was offensive. They were just like, oh, it's this is the way it's viewed in the zeitgeist. This is normal. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's a good point. Thankfully, thankfully we have a lot more... Uh, uh, types of media and different different uh, movies to choose from now. But back then, you know, you take what you get. So at least we got some good kills in this movie. And I do like I do like the way the kids talk and everything. And the, all, the, all the camp interactions were really nostalgic for me. If we're going to continue to look at it with today's lens, then I have no problem with Paul's death. Because Paul does not understand that no means no. Like, he was so pushy with Angela that when he ended up dying, I was like, hmm, that's what you get. He also made out with that skanky girl, Judy, so way to go, Paul. Also, can we just say at the end, like, they're not they're not freaked out by the fact that she has Paul's head in her hands decapitated from his body, but they're like, she was a boy? Like, it's so, it's so ridiculous at the end. And also, her body is like some weird, like, wax puppet thing. And her face is, like, frozen. Like, that last shot, it, it really freaked me out the first time I saw it, but now I'm like, this is goofy. This is a goofy thing that's happening. They paid a drunk college guy to stand there naked, and they made a latex mask of Felicia Rose's face. And they put <laughs> the latex mask on his face, and the drunk college student had to stand there butt-ass naked holding the decapitated head. I could see myself taking that job in college. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> I needed money. I agree with what Nate said, and I think it just calls, like, it completely validates, Marissa, what you were saying about how problematic the movie is, is that at the end of it, it's not, there's a little girl holding a head. It's, oh my God, that little girl has a penis. Yeah, and I think that like we are supposed to sympathize with Angela throughout the film, which again calls to me on like playing around with the idea that we like like creating sympathy for towards the transgendered or problematic gendered person. But one other thing that I find fascinating is like this idea of trauma. Because like I don't maybe I got off easy growing up in the inner city, but like holy crap, most of these kids are like really severely traumatized by things happening in their lives. Whether it is the kids who are like getting uh, abused by pedophilic adults or the kids who are like getting bullied to the point where it is traumatic for them. I can't, like even like Mozart, I felt bad for the kid, you know, like I can't wrap my brain around whether or not this is just an extreme like mockery of what life was like for all of us or if we were all just that traumatized by a society that was very cold and very ignorant to just how terrible kids were back then to each other no i don't think it's the kids i don't know a lot of things got swept under the rug i mean it's one of the central themes of this movie is the is mel is constantly like uh he's like he's like no 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 let's not talk about it we can't let we gotta we gotta you know keep the status quo going i gotta keep making my paycheck it's like don't just, just get rid of the bodies. Let's go. Like, get the ambulance out of here. Like, it's like the whole time. It's any problem is is swept under the rug the entire movie, and he tries to like vigilante that shit himself at the end. So every shot when we got the killer point of view, the hands, like when we see like the hand doing something, that was Ricky. And there was even the scene right before Judy's death that they put a wig on Ricky. To, like, kind of do the whole red herring thing to throw mm -hmm. you off the scent that it was Angela. And that didn't really work. No, not at all. Because <laughs> Ricky, like, like I, I wouldn't believe that Ricky was a murderer in a million years. 
just because of like his attitude the entire movie and how he like knows everybody and he doesn't he doesn't ever really take anything too personally except for when people mess with uh with Angela like that that's the only time he gets upset but like he doesn't even really do that much about it like he'll just do like the the chest puff and stuff like woo you don't kick your ass you asshole like yeah but- that's pretty much it. So I don't know. I didn't buy. I didn't buy him as the red herring one bit. And that one shot that you're talking about is very weird because he's, it's definitely him with a wig on. And I'm like, what's going on here? Is this a psycho thing? <laughs> yeah, it's. On? You're right. It's a little Tony Danza, aka Ricky, is definitely um, <laughs> is definitely literally like the sweetest kid, like the last person you would ever profile. And I think that his character is so wonderful on purpose because it juxtaposes. Like everybody loves Ricky. Everybody hates Angela because she's different and they don't know why. And I think that that's another important underlying theme that does empower this film. If you look at it with like a, you know, like a queer theory lens, is that like, it, it kind of does suggest that like, look at society, you bunch of assholes. Look how you treat someone who's different for whatever reasons that she was different. And Ricky is like, yeah, he's like the quintessential good kid. Like when Mel beats him almost to death every time, I'm always so jarred by it. Cause I'm like, dude, really? Like... I don't know. Of all those terrible human beings around you, this kid's the one you're suspicious of? Why? Because he's nice? Like, I feel like that's his crime, is being a good guy. He really is the, like, the the hero character. He's the redeemable character. I think he's the one character in this whole movie that isn't a bad character, you know? He doesn't really Mm -hmm. do anything shitty to other people. He doesn't kill anybody. All he wants to do is protect and defend his cousin. Yeah, at one point, at one point, Mozart even pulls a knife on him, and when he gets, when Mozart gets in trouble, he's like, "Ah, oh, we're just fooling around. It's no big deal." Like he wasn't even like worried at all. Like he's so innocent. Like he's not even worried by that. Yeah, it's you're you're right. It's it's very it's a very strange juxtaposition. I'm still I'm still floored that you guys really had no sympathy for Angela and the way Phyllis Rose played her. It's only because of my pre-knowledge of the ending, you know? Like, if I didn't know that she was the killer already, I would probably look at it differently. But it's been so long since I've seen this movie for the first time that, like, I'm never going to be able to look at it that way again. Yeah, I've seen this movie far too many times. I mean, I I have some sympathy for her. They treat her like garbage. And it's that problem of they treat her poorly because she's different. And mm-hmm. that is just... You know, you can you can connect that, you can relate to that if you are gay, if you are transgendered, if you are the fat kid, you know, at camp, if you are the only boy or the only girl, like that can be pinpointed to so many different to so many different people. It's so relatable. It's so super relatable because the bottom line is you're different. I don't like you. I'm gonna try to punish you because you're different. So I do I do have, it's not that I don't have any sympathy for her, but I'm definitely in that camp with Nate, no pun intended, that I've seen this movie too many times. And I think the very first time I ever saw this movie and saw the reveal, I was way too young to even understand, you know, I don't think I even knew what a transgender person was. So at the age that I saw this, it was like, 
oh, that girl's got a penis. Oh, should yeah. I be seeing this? Like, I probably like looked away like, oh my God, it's a penis. You know, like I was way too young the, fir- the when the actual reveal happened for me. So, but yeah, I, 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 have, I have sympathy for her. I do have sympathy for the character. And I do love the way that the character is played. Um, albeit slightly creeper, but I mean, there is justice to be had for Angela. So I'm do glad, I, I am glad that some justice was had. I'm on the fence. Because the third one's better, so I'm just gonna keep saying that. <laughs> She's much meaner in the second and third ones too. She oh is. yeah, she's the villain in earnest. People chew gum too loud, and she's like, I'm going to bury you and then run your head over with a lawnmower. You have to be a happy camper. Well, actually, in the second one, they they reference, you know, they reference the first one in in part two because they were like, you know, oh, like there was this, you know, did you hear about that camper, Angela? I heard she, you know, got a sex change and, you know, made it a permanent thing. So you better watch out for the girls or whatever like that. But it really is never, it's never like it was in the first movie where they kind of put a bit of a spotlight on the transgender storyline like it's just Mm. they make that mention of it in the second one and then they never really reference it again that angela was born as peter it's just at that point it just becomes a goofy slasher movie and you're right like in the third one like if you are not a happy camper singing kumbaya and eating in the mess hall and participating in the games, then you're being a bad camper. And bad campers get dynamite shoved up their nose. Just Which is saying. funny. She would have she would have <laughs> killed herself if she knew herself from the first one. Yeah, she absolutely for being would. such a grump all the time. She, she definitely would have murdered herself. She would. <laughs> so maybe it's maybe maybe Angela's got this crazy self loathing thing going on. Maybe Sleepaway Camp Three is redeemable. I don't know. Thank mm. you. Yeah, they should all watch it again. Hey. I don't- <laughs> I don't know if it's the coffee talking or what, but you're right. That starts to make a lot of sense to me. It feels like a very interesting, like psychoanalytical arc that she takes where it's like a self-hating. Huh. Yeah. Maybe we need Weird. to give these all another, another looky-loo. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should see the dance I'm doing. You should see the little happy dance I'm doing. Cause we're going to watch <laughs> part three again. We're I didn't say we were going to watch it again. I just Absolutely said. Absolutely not. <laughs> Maybe in like two or three years. Yeah, you save it up for your birthday episode. <laughs> yeah, let's let's save it for like twenty twenty five. All right. Fair um, so, um, sequel talks always emerge. I gotta tell you, I am a hard no for a sequel because I don't know how they would possibly re- revamp it to be appropriate in a modern day setting. Yeah, it doesn't need to. No, but I'm like pretty anti sequel to begin with. You like mean I'll remake watch, or sequel? Like either. I'm I'm not really like I want to see new things. I want to I want to have new like fresh experiences where I don't see what's going to happen, you know, 20 minutes before it does happen. Like I want to, you know, I want something new. I don't want Star Wars Part 12. Like I love Star Wars, but like it's cool. Let it die. Let it all die. We'll make new stuff. I think it would new. I think it would be so hard if they tried to remake this today. Because things are never going to be the way they were before the age of the internet, before the age of social media. Like, I think, I again, talking out my ass because I've never been to camp, but I would be amazed if I went to, like, if I got to glimpse into a summer camp that's going to take place this summer and there weren't a bunch of kids on their phones and a bunch of kids posting to Instagram. Like, I feel like that innocence of pre-internet we're going to play outside and we're going to get dirty and just that whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't That's know that you can capture that. Because, like, I don't like, think you can capture what 
camp used to be today. It wouldn't hmm. make sense. No, because it used to be like a complete disconnect from the outside world. Like you go to camp and it would be like none of that other shit mattered. None of like your friends or family are here. You're just here with the other campers and we're going to do some outdoorsy stuff for like a couple weeks. And it's like you can't have that anymore. Now everyone's always connected. So I don't even yeah. I don't think this could work either. And if it did, it would be a completely different thing. Not even worth being called Sleepaway Camp, I think. Yeah, that's fair. I'm all about a remake or a sequel. Usually, you know, you guys know me. I'm a sucker. But uh, I agree. I don't think this this franchise has any place in our modern lens world. Camp as a concept is not the same as it was in the 80s. I mean, you're right. It's it's still, I mean, I worked at a few camps um, and like overnight or camp kind of places uh, in my in my adult years as a high school teacher who needed to make money during the summer. And they do have a lot of things that kind of hark back, harken back to the old days. Like I actually sent my girls to a camp recently and I loved that they were like doing archery and like playing dodgeball and like doing all the crap that I always imagined camp would be when you were a kid. The only thing that's missing is the, thankfully the excessive extreme bullying, the pedophilia and the, well, the clicks and exclusiveness are still in existence, but um, you know, like at least it's just a safer, more like, you know, protected environment because of our modern day lens of looking at all this stuff. So they do exist. You guys, they're out there. I just got to say my camp experience was the opposite where like normal life was where we had to deal with bullying and pedophilia and stuff like that. Camp was kind of a precious thing. So, so it's weird seeing the juxtaposed differently in this movie. I never ever wanted when I was a kid to go to camp. Like I was definitely like, I want to stay with my parents. I, 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 you know, I can't, I was definitely one of those, uh, I don't know what the word for it. Like, I just, I had the, uh, I didn't like being away from my parents. So like the idea of going away to camp was something that would never, ever happen. Although looking back now, and maybe it's just the nostalgia of like the good old days when like you, like summers were playing outside, summers were going to the town pool and hanging out. Now I kind of wish I could go back and be like, can I please go to summer camp? Because you've got those like best friends that you only see in those few weeks at summer camp. And then like you do that cool like pen pally thing through the year and like there's like the summer romances and I'm totally just, you know, being nostalgic and romanticizing the idea of camp. But like I'm kind of looking back like I wish I wasn't like such a loser that like was afraid to leave her parents and like I would have gone on some kind of adventure like this because they do seem like it does seem really fun. Did your school ever do one? Because my school, when I was in like middle school, we did like a camp week. I remember at least like once or twice we did that. Where like, you know, grades the like five and six, and grades three and four, like both went to like different camps and did like camp events. Like you did with like your whole class and everything. If we did, then I did not participate. I did one weekend camp event with my dad. It was like a, it was a group called Indians and Princesses. And it was like a father daughter bonding thing that I did. It's inappropriate today, huh? Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like it was like just a weekend event. Like I'm sure that they, like the group, the organization had many, but like a friend, my, my, one of my childhood friends and her dad did it. So, you know, this was right after my parents had gotten divorced. So my dad and I were trying to find things to do together and we were bonding and the whole nine. So we did that. But like that is literally my whole experience was like, I guess I'm I'm sure it was like a Friday and Saturday and we left on Sunday kind of situation. But 
I've never, I've never gone camping. I've never been to camp. I've always been very, I've been an indoor girl in that sense. Like I played outside in the summer. Like you couldn't tear us away from the pool when we were kids growing up. But, but yeah, like to actually go out into the woods was just something that as a family, like we never did that. So I don't have that experience. And I guess maybe that's also tying into why I wouldn't want to go to camp as a kid. Cause I'm like sleeping in a cabin and like doing archery and stuff just was it, it just wasn't anything that was on my radar then so to go out and try something new was not my style as a kid that's all we did as kids we like played around outside we got into like turf wars with like the other kids like a couple streets over we would go explore in the woods and like build like like dirt bike paths and like we just wanted to be outside which is weird because now i don't ever go outside yeah my childhood was weird so i can't really comment to any of that <laughs> but yeah remember if you want to find us find us you know where we are we're here on the internet it's impossible to miss us eat shit and live everybody yeah eat shit and live guys eat shit and live Bye -bye. bye bye let's gather around the campfire and sing our campfire song our c a m p f i r e s o n g song if you don't think that we can sing it faster than you're wrong But it'll help if you just sing along bum, bum, bum. C-A-M-B-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G song C-A-M-B-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G song And if you don't think that we can sing it faster than you're wrong But it'll help if you just sing along C-A-M-B-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G song Patrick! Song! C-A-M-B-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G Good! You're listening to the Geekscape Network.